Real Talkers, what's shaking? It's Thursday, April 28th. Ryan Jesperson here with you from our home studio in Edmonton. It's good to be back in the same room. Welcome back. As our intrepid technical producer, <laughs> John Hicks. How you doing? Thank you very much. Yeah, I missed you, boss. It was we lonely a, in here. Well, hey, man, it was uh, it was a great time out in Jasper. A couple of days. I want to show you a couple of highlights in just a little bit. Uh, out there to uh, deliver a keynote at the Community Leaders Camp, which was really cool. Um, community leaders, like elected officials, city managers, mm-hmm. chiefs of staff, um, you know, strategists. Uh, it was a small and intimate group, like thirty or forty people. Oh, really? Um, yeah, from across Western Canada, people up from Michigan, which was really cool. Got to pick their brains on what's working in their communities and talk about some really neat things. And then, of course, two episodes of Real Talk live from the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, which I wasn't going to say a thing. Uh, because there wasn't nearly enough wood around me to knock on, and I was surrounded by forest <laughs> to, yeah. paint a, to paint a picture, but I didn't want to risk anything. But a huge credit to you and to the oh, team. Oh, come on. No, to the events team at the JPL. You coordinated with them ahead of time. These are the things that the the uh, you know the hosts don't think about. Mm. But you guys had it so nailed down. Their team did such a great job. They had virtually a, a vault like sound studio for us in there, and everything went seamlessly. I didn't want to say everything's going great at the time because <laughs> didn't want to call it when daring. you do that. That's when it all collapses. But a job well done. And well, here thank you, you are. Very much. Here you are at home. Uh, managing what I would imagine in my life would be a such a stressful circumstance. Can can I can I say you locked your phone? <laughs> okay, it, go ahead. You locked your phone across the hall in a room across the hall from our studio in our in our working space. Yeah, we have a back office. office here. So you were without your phone until I got back from Jasper. I could unlock that door for you. How, how did how did you manage that? And my keys. And I didn't oh. want to bug you like you're driving back from Jasper. Uh, Andrew Walker, uh, who of course hosts the Hedge, we launched this week. He as well uh, is super stressed, and so I I just. I just went home. I got my wife to pick so me you up. To, oh, you got your wife had to come yeah. pick you up. But it's oh, funny because we had that conversation with the uh, the social media experts yesterday, Beverly and Amy, and they were talking about getting off Twitter when you feel like it's hindering you. Yeah, uh, refining your uh, news feed. And man, I I felt pretty good last night being being out of the loop. Of course, I was still on you know Slack and stuff talking to you. Yeah, but. yeah. Sometimes it's nice. It happens every Little break every once in a while. It'll happen where your your phone battery gets down to like three percent. Two percent, and then it'll die on you. And for the first ten minutes, you're realizing you go to like check your email, or you go to send somebody a money transfer, or you go to do something. You're like, yeah, you and can't. then and then you settle into this like, ah, this is the way it used to be. Yeah, I watched the Jays in thirty. I, you know, I caught up on some sports. I did some prep, and everything was quiet. I was like, this is nice. This yeah. is yeah. So you 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 took your break from screen time by putting yourself in front of a bigger screen, but I watching did. baseball. <laughs> well, so there and you I, go. You know, I hung out with my wife. We had dinner, and she was like, "Oh, you're, you know, you're. Don't you have work to do?" I'm like, oh, "My phone's not here." Yeah, like, just, well, what can I do? Relax. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not. You get some quality yeah. time, my man. Yeah. Well, it's good to be back. We've got a great show in store coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to talk uh, Alberta provincial politics. I want to talk to you about COVID today. The numbers are, are uh, I mean, they're concerning. And um, I think that real talk includes real talk about whether or not people are even paying attention to COVID numbers anymore. And then we've got a guest coming up in the in the nine o'clock hour. If you're watching or listening to us live, if you're listening to the podcast or catching us on YouTube later, you'll catch it in about a half hour from now, 30 minutes from where we're at right now. Um, a remarkable graduate from the University of Alberta's Faculty of Law, Anita Cardinal-Stewart. She's the recipient of the Justice Rosalie Silberman Abella Prize, and it's awarded by the Royal Society of Canada. 
uh, to 23 graduating law students across the country, one from each school. And uh, we reached out to Anita. It's an amazing story. She was pretty excited to be joining us on the show. And here's why, because she's talking about this as her Kukum uh, journey, her Kukum journey. She's she's a grandmother and she well, I'm going to let her tell her story. She obviously is the one that needs to deliver this story. But she has her first kid at 17 uh, she had always she wrote in her high school yearbook that she wanted to be uh, she wanted to ha- have two careers. There's two careers she wanted to pursue, and, and one of them was a lawyer. But she kind of felt like maybe life was putting her in a position where that might be out of reach. And she's just graduated with her uh, juris doctor. She's a doctor of laws Amazing. and uh, just a remarkable career. It's not just the story of, oh, she made it to law school. She graduated from law school. She's a fierce advocate uh, in particular uh, on issues impacting and affecting indigenous people in Canada. She's acted as an advocate for uh, people that have uh, been victims of forced sterilization. She's been doing a lot of work relating to the 60s scoop. I can't wait to talk to her. That's coming up in about 30 minutes time. Plus details on a whole bunch of things that that we have cooking that we're excited to tell you about. But first, let me remind you, this show happens because we have the support of sponsors like Bitcoin Well. We're talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the blockchain. What a cool roundtable we had a couple of weeks ago trying to make sense and understand how all of that fits into the future of Canada's economy and maybe job opportunities. How do we draw investment here? How does it all fit together? If you're trying to make sense of it and you want to talk to somebody that knows, I recommend Benny at Bitcoin. Well, you'll find him under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Yeah, let's get to the COVID numbers really quick. This is uh, a former colleague of mine and and, uh, still a great friend, Courtney Terrio, does an amazing job for City News. Uh, Courtney, through the course of COVID, has been kind of a go-to. He's a must-follow on Twitter at CSpot.com. Tweets and uh, he was pointing out yesterday. Here's some of the numbers. Our home province of Alberta, and we're seeing numbers across the country, but Alberta's averaging nine COVID deaths per day over the past week. Ages of deaths were between 32 and 103. Hospitalizations are up by 94. These are the numbers as of yesterday at more than 1,200 with 47 people in ICU. Now that's way less than at these the height of these spikes. Remember when we there were like 250, 280, 300 people in ICUs, but still these numbers are high. And Courtney pointing out that Alberta's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, saying by comparison, American data prior to COVID found that there was one death per day on average uh, due to influenza. So he says using that range in Alberta, we'd see two or three deaths a day. That means that COVID is currently killing three to four times more people at that rate right now, three to four times more people than influenza on average in Alberta right now, nine deaths a day. And I couldn't help but notice that a city councilor in our home city of Edmonton, Andrew Knack, Kind of poured it out yesterday. As a matter of fact, he tweeted this uh, almost at midnight last night. So it's something that's, I, I don't know if you read too much into this. I'm, you know, I always have thoughts to tweet at like three in the morning. And I, I'll, I say, well, 
I didn't have my phone, so yeah, this is new for me. Yeah, well, check this out, but but I don't blame the counselor. So it's almost midnight. I don't know if he's tossing and turning, but it's at least on his heart and his head. He says, I'm struggling with the weekly reporting of COVID deaths. He says, last week, another 62 people, he's talking about Alberta, another 62 people lost their lives to this virus. That's more than the total number of people we lose due to the regular flu in an entire year. He says, I don't feel ready to accept that yet. He says that's such a large number of people, and it feels like we've just accepted that reality. Instead of understanding if there's anything we can do to help reduce the number of people we lose every day, I don't understand why we haven't had that conversation as a society. He wonders, is it because of the vast majority of people who die are seniors? Like, just for a second, just to say this, to break away from the Counselor Next thread, when you hear that the the COVID deaths have ranged in age from 32 to 103, Mm -hmm. Most people won't say it out loud, but there's probably some folks that would go, oh, 103. I mean, 100, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, they were probably quite vulnerable, right? 103. I mean, you know, the wind blows too, so 103, right? You remember the Alberta's premier got himself in hot water about a year ago saying, I'd like to, you know, he says, I point out the average age of deaths due to COVID is 83, which is higher than the life, you know, higher than the average. And people are going, well, what's, why does that matter? It's mm-hmm. still a human being, still a family experiencing 100%. loss. But, but Nax making a point here. Like, is it because the vast majority of people who die are seniors? Does it does it change? Does that shape or influence public opinion on COVID? He says it sounds terrible to say, and he's right, but yet it feels like we don't value the lives of seniors the same way we do with those who are younger. I agree with him. He says that's a much bigger issue that I think we still need to deal with as well. He says, so my serious question is, is how do each of you manage this new reality? Does it bother you that we still don't fully understand what living with COVID will actually look like? Should I just get over it and accept a greater number of deaths of seniors? Counselor wraps up by saying, are there studies showing that, you know, the additional deaths are offset by lower numbers of other deaths? I just find it odd, he says, how quickly we moved from treating this virus seriously to pretending like it doesn't exist. And I'm truly interested in the feedback of those who have fewer concerns. So that's interesting. We are, too. If you want to share your thoughts with us, maybe this is a trash talk for you. I don't know. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us an email. And, of course, Trash Talk will go tomorrow, presented by Local Environmental. Brad says, I think it's just because the government doesn't care. They just want to move on. He says, I can't believe we're just accepting these deaths and just moving on. Meantime, Tracy says, that's 62 families, 62 deaths last week. That's 62 families who lost a loved one unnecessarily, says Tracy. Let us know where you're at on that. I'd be curious to know. In just a second, we're going to talk to uh, a guy that's been in politics for a long time. But before we do, quickly, I want to mention something to you. We've been excited about this for a while. You know that we launched, uh, in memory of the founding member of our editorial board, uh, who, who just absolutely bravely and valiantly fought cancer, a horrific cancer diagnosis for almost five years. She beat that prognosis, she, she, she stared it in the eye and said, I will not let this take me down. And Julie Rohr was a force of nature, and you know that. If you watch this show, if you paid attention on social media, just an incredible human being. Uh, before her passing, we were uh, very proud to work with Julie to establish the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship, which will make available $5,000, uh, an annual payment, awarded annually to a different post-secondary student, who lost a parent to cancer. And Julie provided the directives of how our editorial board will select that recipient. And this scholarship will be funded by our Real Talk Golf Classic. And the inaugural Golf Classic goes June 23rd. That's Thursday, June 23rd of this year. 
a shotgun start at 2.15 p.m. at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. I want to let you know, as of yesterday, registration is open for this tournament. So if you go to ryanjesperson.com, you just go to our website. It's easy to find. You click on the events link, and you go to the Real Talk Golf Classic, and there you'll find it. The sign-up details, if you're interested in volunteering, if you're interested in sponsoring a hole, you want to be our title sponsor, you click. It takes you to registration. It's nice and easy, and if you have any questions, you just send them to us, golf at ryanjesperson.com. The Real Talk Golf Classic registration is now open at ryanjesperson.com under the events link. That's Thursday, June 23rd at 2.15 p.m. Uh, we're excited to have an opportunity to hang out with many of you there to celebrate Julie's legacy and, of course, to play uh, what is consistently ranked as one of Alberta's top golf courses. That's the Ranch Golf and Country Club. You know, it's been it's been named um, on some lists in Canada's top 20 public courses. This is the course I hear about all the time and I haven't been, so you I'm know excited the, to see it for the first time. The biggest thing about the ranch that people will talk about mm. is that great players still find it challenging. Great players find it. It's a beautiful course. It's well-maintained. It plays well. Sure. And party animals are welcome. <laughs> and there aren't a lot of golf courses where scratch players enjoy their time and party animals enjoy their well, time. Now I know why you booked it. It's usually one or the other. Vitor Marciano has been uh, Brian Jean's unofficial spokesperson for a while now. He's got a 20-year track record in federal and Alberta politics. As a matter of fact, Vitor served as the national policy chair for the federal conservatives, and he was that party's chief political trainer as well. So he's Brian Jean's unofficial spokesperson, and uh, Vitor and I have known each other a long time, making his Real Talk debut today. It's nice to see your face, my man. How have you been? I am doing well. I'm doing well. I actually think I've been on once before. But, when were you uh, on before? You run with Janice Irwin. What am I talking about? That's, we had an argument about healthcare. And I think that we, I, what am I talking? Of course you were on with Janice. And we called it the, uh, we called it the meet in the middle round table. Didn't we? That's right. There was a lot of space there where we could agree on things. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was, it was interesting discussion. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, welcome back, Vitor. You've, you've, um, you know, I mean, back in, in 2010, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe this is like 12 years ago already, but um, at that time, Wild Rose Alliance leader, Danielle Smith had asked you to become the Wild Rose's first executive director, right? And so you were, you served uh, ultimately then as her press sec secretary, you were Brian Jean's senior advisor, um, you worked on the 2015 election campaign for the Wild Rose. And of course, you were also involved in a lot of the prep work that created the UCP. And uh, you worked on Brian Jean's campaign for the UCP leadership. So you've had your hands in the pot a lot when it comes to conservative politics in Alberta over the last 15 years. I've had either uh, the privilege or the misfortune of being sort of at the center of an awful lot of really interesting politics in Alberta for the last yeah, about a dozen years. Yeah, we've got you. You can probably see your font on camera for people watching on YouTube. We have Brian Jean's spokesperson. We have spokesperson in quotes. Um, I saw you quoted in a, in a news article the other day. I don't remember the outlet. And one of my friends sent it to me and said, since when do MLAs have spokespersons? Uh, what's the deal here? What's with the structure? Uh, I mean, I'm doing this as a volunteer. Mm. I'm doing this because Brian's a friend. I've been, you know, advising him as a volunteer sort of for years now we we talk about stuff we you know we uh co-write some things he comes up with an idea sends me a draft i do some refining we bounce it back and forth um we do a lot of political planning i you know it's it's been one of those things so you know it's for lack of a better term i mean uh actually it happens all the time 
people in politics have their guys. And, uh, you know, I remember people being described as uh, Jim Prentice's spokesperson before Jim got officially involved in the PC leadership race. There were people who were spokespersons for uh, Jason Kenney before he did anything official. Just seemed like the right way to describe it. Yeah, we, I know that Albertans, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't think how Albertans would align themselves politically, whether somebody might describe themselves as apolitical or, um, you know, as, 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 you know, an ardent or strident conservative or, or uh, you know, sort of more of a, you know, more of a, I think that there's a lot of people in Alberta that would describe themselves as progressives, but they kind of don't know where that fits, right? Do you think that's fair? Like people would still say, well, I kind of am I'm a progressive conservative or I'm, I'm for the Alberta party or I'm considering voting for the NDP or I'm absolutely voting for the NDP. How do you assess the landscape right now with regards to the four and a half million people that call it home? What are you seeing? So... Slightly more people in Alberta describe themselves as center-right than describe themselves as center-left. Um, but if you were to take sort of the, the exact center, huge numbers of people describe themselves as pretty close to the exact center. Um, but then you also have to consider it within the context of, of these broader definitions nationally and internationally. You know, Alberta might be the most conservative province in Canada, but we disapproved of Donald Trump at a rate that was similar to New York State, California, and Vermont. So in the United States, we would have been, you know, one of the most liberal states. It's these these the the, the scales do not move easily across different countries and across different systems. And when you when you read things in you know in, in politics that come from other places, you've got to think about the fact that you know right in Texas does not mean the same thing as right in Alberta. Yeah. And the center in Alberta is pretty significantly left in most places in the United States. And the right is pretty significantly center and left in most places. In the it's always interesting to see how people try to pin others down on the spectrum. You know, I saw I saw one of the premier's issues managers uh, just yesterday ripping the premier's former communications director, Blaze Ballmer, who came on this show last week. And uh, the premier's issues manager, Brian Bateson, says, yeah, Blaze, whatever. He says, I'm not sure we're too concerned about about your assessment of how we're governing, considering you were on a left wing podcast the other day. And number one, I thought it's pretty great that the premier's office is tuning into Real Talk. And fellas, I appreciate that. A good morning to all of you. Uh, but number two, I thought a left wing podcast. I'm not so sure about that. Vitor today. We've got uh, Jean Charest tomorrow. We also talked to David Shepard earlier this week. We just talk to people, Vitor. We pick people's brains, and and I hope that more people can recognize a value in that. I, and then there is value in that, and and it represents the diversity of this province. Um, honest to goodness, the the premier's people should be focusing on communication, communicating what the government is doing and the government's plans, rather than picking fights with their enemies. I think that's actually one of the reasons why they're in so much trouble, is because they've not understood how to do. Um, this politics properly. I mean, how to, that, that once you get elected, you're the government for all Albertans and you can elect and you can govern from a center right perspective. You can govern from the right towards the center. Um, but the campaign's over. Stop picking fights about left and center and progressive and conservative. Just govern 
and bring your voters along with you, you'll do much better. I know that people are going to, and people will expect a candid interview with you, which is great. I just, I can't even, there's nothing funny about what's been going on with the, the previous leadership review, but but as, as far as everybody can tell, um, it's happening behind closed doors and in the shadows, but this RCMP investigation continues. I keep hearing from people who shoot me little notes to let them know that either the police have reached out to them or that they have spoken with the police. And so you've still got that ongoing. And, and then potentially you've got a fresh leadership race coming up potentially depending on what happens what what the announcement looks like may 18th with jason kenny's leadership review so how do you fit into all this like like what there, there's got to be a lot of noise right now and 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 here you are some might say and no offense vitor but the fox is in the hen house now <laughs> well i mean i'm aware of all of these things uh i've been interviewed by the rcmp i have some sense of the two or three different criminal investigations that are happening. Um, you know, it's a sort of Damocles that's, that hangs over Alberta politics right now because we don't know when the Mounties and the Ontario prosecutor will report on whatever happened. Um, they've told us they're going to report. They've told the media they're going to report at some, at some point, one way or another. I suspect it's getting close to the end because just you know, in, in mid-February, they interviewed the premier. Um, and so by the time you get up to the top levels, you're probably finishing off things. Um, they say it's an extremely complicated investigation. And I believe that that is the case because I believe that they probably hit a whole bunch of cell phone companies with search warrants and, and Google and other places with search warrants. Um, I used to believe that a small amount of crooked things had happened. Over time, people in the media have convinced me that a large amount of crooked things happen. Uh, every now and then, somebody in the media would tell me something, and I'd say, that's just not true. I, I was there. I, I, that wouldn't, if that had happened, I would have known. And then they say, go ask. What's and an example? Would, what, what's something you, you'd, you'd feel comfortable telling us that wouldn't get you sued? Um, I was told at one point by somebody in the media that all of the pins from the 2017 um, leadership race had been handed to a U.S. call center that had been contracted by the party. And I told this reporter, that's not true. If we had hired an American call center, I would have known about it. Like, and by, by we, I mean the party. Um, and that that didn't happen. And the reporter said, you're wrong and go ask around. And so I picked up the phone and called the person who was in charge of the LEOC, the Leadership Election Commit Organizing Committee subcommittee that hired vendors and said, what's this story about this American call center having all our pins? And that person said, oh, you've heard about that, have you? <laughs> Shocked. Wow. I mean, what the heck? So how, how so what's the what's the vibe right now in their Vitor? If there's like, like I see we talked to Leela here yesterday, who I know you're familiar with, Leela, former Wild Rose MLA, of course. And and I was asking her about her colleague, uh, another United Conservative MLA, Peter Guthrie, who's who's sort of joined the chorus of people speaking out against Premier Kenny. Your I don't know if you say Brian Jean is your boss, but whatever, but your pal, let me say, uh, has come ha, ha ran in the Fort McMurray by-election to refresh people's memories last month on on the premise that he's coming in to unseat the leader. I thought were you were you surprised that the premier allowed that he greenlit Brian Jean's nomination? Like I was surprised I, he allowed I, it. I was even more surprised than that because in many ways the premier was involved in setting up the first domino that led to all of that. The premier could have pushed hard to not allow 
Layla Goodridge to run federally. And instead he went out of his way to encourage it, which literally opened up a vacancy in Brian Jean's home riding. It was sort of like they were daring Brian to do it. Um, I'm, I'm thinking they misread the situation. They thought, well, we'll dare Brian to do it. Brian won't do it. And then we'll say, shut up, you're a coward. Because that's how they play things. They like to be tough and rugged and aggressive. I know. Um, and, and instead they opened up the opportunity and Brian said, well, now I have to do it. And then I think Team Kenny thought they would beat him in the nomination and they were telling everybody they were beating him in the nomination. I, I sat at a conference at a panel next to Alan Hallman, who told an entire room that his team was going to beat Brian Jean in the nomination because Brian Jean couldn't organize. And Brian won that handily. And then Brian won the by-election. That's what a lot of people are saying right now. I, I, I was out for drinks with a buddy the other day, and he said the exact – this is a political strategist. He's working on a winning campaign like a, at, at the provincial level, and he's, he said Brian Jean can't organize. Can he? I don't know. I mean, we uh, – Fort McMurray, Lac La Biche has the second smallest population of any riding in Alberta, and it has the third largest number of UCP members. So you mm. tell me. Yeah. So what's the vibe right now? Like uh, – this party, everyone's saying, weird... like Premier's saying, you got to keep the party united, right? He's like, that's his campaign uh, to remind people his chief of staff stepped away from her role at the legislature to, to run his. It feels like I almost I caught myself from saying re-election campaign. It's not that it's it's he's trying to maintain his his support. A survival as survival campaign. It's a survival campaign. Exactly. And and, and his yeah. message has been um, basically I might not be perfect, but I'm better than the alternative. It's, it's really weird. Uh, it's vote for me. I'm the only one that can keep this party united while he fosters and fuels division. Yeah. It, it's very strange. If you think about it in terms of, uh, you know, let's say that your significant other was threatening to leave your relationship and you didn't want that to happen. You would talk about, I'll be better. I'll change. These are things that I can do to hold it together. Jason Kenny is like, vote for me. I'm the only one that can hold this thing together. And if you vote for me, you'll get more of the same and a tougher attitude for me. I'll be, uh, you know, I'll pick up the stick and demand even more loyalty and even, you know, I'll be more repressive. I, I've been too tolerant of dissent. And it's sort of like, no, you haven't been sufficiently capable of listening to your own caucus, which by the way, might explain why you're having a tough time connecting with Albertans as a whole. It, it would explain why this government's polling numbers have trended down from the day they were elected. COVID made it worse. And basically 23 out of the last 24 publicly released polls show that this government's going down to a significant defeat if something serious isn't done. So let me ask you this. People, people will say, well, Brian Jean had a crack at this before, right? The, the, the former federal MP has been leader of Alberta's official opposition. He has led a party before into an election. Um, people will say, well, Jason, what's that? Seven days. Seven he days. Was, he was literally the leader of the Wild Rose Party for seven days. Okay. When Jim Prentice, out of fear, called an early election. Yeah. Okay. Um, so is that so is that your is that your premise or is that your argument is that he just didn't have enough time to put together a proper campaign or they were kind of you know running into we, it? Fly the we did it by the seat of, the of our pants. pants. Yeah. We had we had a we had enough of a campaign plan to be real. I think we actually surprised everybody by how real we were. Remember, Wild Rose picked up seats during that election. Yeah, um, We went into an environment where the media 
refused to believe the Wild Rose was doing as well as it was doing and, and framed the election as Jim Prentice versus Rachel Notley. And then the media used their megaphone to reinforce over and over and over again the Jim Prentice message, the Alan Hallman message, that he was winning 52 seats. And what happened all across Alberta was that a bunch of people said, well, he may be winning 52 seats, but he isn't winning this one. And a lot of people who don't normally vote NDP, who would never have considered voting NDP, voted NDP to stop the PCs. You know, Brian Jean described it as an accidental NDP government, and people misunderstand what he means by that. The voters weren't voting to create a majority NDP government, but they were voting to make sure that they kicked the PCs in the tender parts. That's what they were doing. And Wild Rose, frankly, we couldn't get our share of the media. I mean, literally, when Brian Jean said, we're at risk of electing an accidental NDP majority government. It got next to no press. Yeah, but Vitor, isn't that like, just to, to ask you a straight question, like if, if a leader can't get the attention of the media, whose fault is that? I don't know. Actually, no, it's more complicated than that. Um, one, over time, we have less and less media. Yeah. Uh, two, um, if the media decide that there's a horse race, they will, and they framed a horse race, they will follow the horse race. And the media had been embarrassed by the 2012 election where they had said that Wild Rose was gonna win, Wild Rose was gonna win, Wild Rose was gonna win, and then it didn't win. So they were like, whatever Wild Rose looks like it's doing, we're gonna be skeptical about it. And ultimately it became that way. But I, I will point out that post that election, Brian Jean took Wild Rose to number one in the polls consistently through all of 2016 and all of 2017, um, led Jason Kenney in polling amongst general Albertans. There was a one poll that I remember put out by, uh, by Main Street where they try to figure out who had the highest net positives in Alberta amongst all politicians and all celebrities. And Brian Jean was tied with Connor McDavid and Johnny Goudreau for the highest net positive. That's in the, like in the summer of 2017. Um, you know, Brian hasn't actually had a chance to run a campaign against Rachel Notley. If you think about 2015, he was running a campaign against Jim Prentice. Um, and he was doing it before the two parties were united. He grew the Wild Rose vote share. He grew the Wild Rose seat share. I think he's actually done pretty well as a politician. Okay, so I have to, this is, this, I have to make like assumption after assumption after assumption. So this is like a hypothetical piled on top of a hypothetical, but, but assuming, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but assuming that the premier's leadership review is, is unflattering or it, it blows up in his face, he let, it, less than 50% or, or, or less than like a more reasonable number. When you I need think a survivable like, number. You need a survivable number. You can't you can't go fifty percent plus one and, and say I've received the mandate. I need to lead. Like no way. But let's assume that he resigns or that something happens. Like just for the purpose of this question, and let's assume that Brian Jean seeks the leadership. Let's assume that Brian Jean wins the leadership, and let's assume that it's Jean that leads the United Conservative Party, assuming it's still united, into the next provincial election. Brian Jean, no doubt, can secure the support of some of the dissenting MLAs, certainly. Some of those that would qualify more as, as the right-wingers. I don't say it as disparagingly. Uh, I, I, let me just get the question out. As, as social conservatives, so to speak, rural MLAs for sure. But a lot of people will think, well, Brian Jean's even, even more, quote-unquote, right-wing than Jason Kenney. He's even more conservative than Jason Kenney. Can Brian Jean win the cities? Because you're not going to become premier if you can't win the cities. Yes, 
And ultimately, I think you're falling into the trap of thinking about right and left when you should be thinking about good governance, good structure, good policy, the ability to communicate policies about the issues that matter to Albertans. Um, well, that'll be his biggest job, though, right? Right. And it's relatively easy to do. Some of the things that Jason Kenney has done, lots of Albertans agree with in principle. They just don't like how Jason Kenney did it. Sure. Albertans believe we do need to update the curriculum. It's time to renew it. It's been a long time since we've done that. They don't like how Jason Kenney did it. Albertans believe we need to fix health care. They don't trust Jason Kenney to do it the right way. Um, Albertans need to believe that we need to return to a system that's got some sense of fiscal sanity because we can't, we can't say that, oh, an energy boom means that we don't have a problem because we all know that there's going to be an energy bust at some point too. Um, it, so much of this has to do with the style and the leadership approach of the government and how it communicates to Albertans, how it doesn't listen to Albertans. And there's so much space for a conciliatory leader, a leader who governs more in the Ralph Klein, Peter Lougheed style than a Jason Kenney bombastic, I'm going to pick fights with my enemies type leader that just loses the support of everybody who isn't, you know, a hardcore true believer Jason Kenney fanboy. Yeah, you know what's fascinating though, Vitor, is it worked very well for him in, in his five-step plan. Kenny, I'm talking about when he came back from Ottawa, his five-step plan to unite the parties, to win the leadership, to win the election. Um, and that bombastic combative approach worked extremely well. And when there's a playbook that's working well, you don't toss out the playbook and now but, it's blowing up in his face. But ultimately, this is the problem with Jason Kenney. He won the leadership in 2017. From that point on, everybody knew he was going to be premier, and he should have been planning to govern, and he should have been building his plans to govern, and instead, he planned to campaign. And so you get April of 2019, this government wins, and for the next 18 years to 24 months, it looks like a government on training wheels. It, it, it's holding panels to decide what to do policy-wise. Well, you had two years. You knew you were going to win. You could have built the plan for what you would do as you govern in the meantime. And then you could have built more importantly, the plan on how you're gonna communicate that to Albertans. And here's the funny part. You could have gone back to the 93 to 97 playbook and just use the same talking points as Jim Dinning and Stockwell Day. The, we're all in this together. These are not easy decisions. We'd like to work with our unions and with Albertans to solve problems that we all agree with our problems. Now. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be painful. But we can all agree that this is a problem and we'd like to sit down with the people who are going to be most impacted and find a way to make it as little pain as possible. That was available to the Kenny government. But they just never did that. They didn't plan to govern. Um, they decided that they would govern by the seat of their pants. Frankly, Jason Kenny does everything by the seat of his pants. He's so confident in his ability to talk that he doesn't actually need to plan for what he's going to say tomorrow. I, I sometimes make the joke that Jason Kenney does press conferences sometimes to find out what Jason Kenney's going to say. Because that's how we operate. That's not a good way to run a province. Boring government, predictable government, uh, you know, a leader who's maybe not as good a talker as Jason Kenney, but is a better planner and holds his caucus together, delegates authority to cabinet, 
sets five or six big policy ideas out there and then uses the power of the premier to make sure that these things move forward. All of that is better. All of that is available with the next leader, be it Brian Jean or whoever. Yeah. And all of that puts the UCP in a better spot. I had an interesting conversation with uh, somebody yesterday. I was at this community leaders camp out in Jasper, and uh, we were talking about the political dynamic in Alberta and whether or not it truly is a two-party province or, or whether or not there's room for a third or fourth or fifth party like we used to have. And, and we were debating the importance of charisma when it comes to a leader. And, I, and I'm interested to hear you address that. Let me ask you this in closing because we're way over time and I know you're busy uh, and, and we've got a guest uh, in the bullpen ready to rock here right now. So um, I'm sure that you have some sort of polling Vitor. It seems like everybody does with regards to where they're predicting how this leadership review is going to go. I've seen most people estimating between 40 to 60% support for the premier. Uh, what are your numbers telling you? I personally believe the premier is going to end up around 43 to 46%. Oof. Uh, the voters are located in the wrong places to give him a survivable number. Uh, there are too many new voters. There is no crop of brand new people who got involved in conservative politics to save Jason Kenney. The brand new people got involved in conservative politics to vote against Jason Kenney. He didn't sell enough memberships in Calgary. He doesn't have enough support, frankly, from his home riding. And, uh, and ultimately, the 63% of voters who are in ridings where their names don't start with Edmonton or Calgary are going to decide this and they're going to defeat Jason Kenney. UCP is going to have a leadership race. UCP is going to renew itself. UCP will win the next election next year, though I don't necessarily think it'll be a May election. Okay. When do you think it will be? October, November. All right. Yeah, it's a smarter time to have fixed election dates in the fall than in the spring. Why is that? Um, because it's really dumb to schedule an election uh, one month after a budget in perpetuity. Uh, Just ask Jim uh, Jim Prentice. Well, you can't ask Jim Prentice, but you can ask the people around Jim Prentice. Yeah. Doing a budget and then immediately going into an election can go really badly. Yeah. Uh, always love talking politics with you, Vitor. We don't always agree on everything. Some things we do, but I've always appreciated your candor and your availability. And thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Yeah, this is Vitor Marciano, uh, Brian Jean's unofficial spokesperson spokesperson in quotes he didn't quotations mind you and i debated that before i said do you think he, i don't want you know i don't want to, didn't want him to take offense don't want it to look yeah. cynical but he let us know it's a volunteer position for now i mean he, he would be it, hypothetically if brian jean were to be the next leader of the party i'm sure vitor would be his chief of staff yeah right so or some form of senior advisor listen our uh get real question of the week it's presented by our research and strategy partners at y station uh, we wanted to give this one some time to marinate so it's up there right now ryanjesperson.com you click on connect and then question of the week we're asking you uh the united conservative party's vote on jason kenney's leadership kicked off april 9th results expected on may 18th we want to know how you think it's going to go how will the premier do in the end what will be the impact of the voting format changes the mail-in ballot what role will Brian Jean play. We just talked about it. What lessons will we take from all of this? You click on the link to respond. It takes two, three minutes to get through it. We appreciate everybody that does. And uh, we'll review those results next week, of course, courtesy of our friends at Y Station. <laughs> if you're listening on the podcast, you wouldn't have seen what just happened. But I, I, I tried to go full screen, Johnny, and click through the menus. And it just gave us a big white screen for uh, TV switchers and directors would go, Jesperson, what are you doing right now? The survey available until 3 p.m. Mountain on Sunday, May 1st. That's this Sunday.
he talked about he he mentioned uh, what was it Brian Jean's pulling along with Johnny Goudreau and Connor McDavid. Yeah, I like how he threw in the hockey reference. That's all like, anybody wants to think about right now. It's all anybody's talking about right now. Gives me a second, real quick second, to plug um, the amazing work that you've been doing, John, with Andrew Walker, host of The Hedge. It's Relay's newest show. You can check it out at thehedgepod.com. And a quick shout out to Walks. Yesterday he spoke with Jack Michaels, the play-by-play voice a great of show. the Edmonton Oilers. Good show. And and today coming up, you've got Fridge. You want to tune in. Fridge, I think they'll call him. Fridge is refrigerator. You know William Perry, right? The the, the Chicago Bears, great. But Elliot Friedman uh, former on the show beard today. Enthusiast. Former beard enthusiast. His, Elliot's COVID beard was something to incredible. Uh, behold, it was like you expected there to be like a family of sparrows in there. But he's back to clean shaven now, and uh, walks will have him on the hedge. You can check out the hedgepod.com or you can check it out anywhere you download your podcast. How are you enjoying the coffee in studio today, my man? It's incredible. You like it's it? It's really, you know, I don't want to compare coffees, but this is this is the best I've had since ah. I've been here at Real Talk. Okay. So. Well, that's a good endorsement. Uh, we're drinking coffee this month, courtesy of our official coffee sponsors at Yegg Coffee Club. And this month's feature coffee is from Kaffa Coffee Company, open and roasting in the beautiful neighborhood of Garneau in Edmonton. You can find them on Instagram. I encourage you to follow them at Kaffa roaster and studio here's the deal here's how it works with yegg coffee club and this is what we love so much about is we don't just get the same roast the same beans the same region every single month we get different coffee selections all of them local uh and small batch and so you know that you're going to get excellence right at yeggcoffeeclub.ca you can sign up right now you can subscribe it's like 25 bucks per subscription now maybe your workplace blows through four or 10 or 20 pounds of coffee a month depending on how many people are there right you can alter your subscription so it meets your needs you go to yeggcoffeeclub.ca you click on subscribe today and then you can learn more about what you receive not just the coffee beans either tasty local goodies like baked goods or tea or little chocolates or locally produced honey and then tasting notes like this one here in my hand about the monthly coffee roaster it's a great idea. Mother's Day is coming up in a little bit. Yeah. You know, you're going to want to make sure that you, you do something to to maybe treat. I mean, if you're a mom, treat yourself. Treat the mom in your life. Treat the person that definitely uh, needs to be uh, understanding a, a little bit more about how appreciated they are. This is a great opportunity for you at yeggcoffeeclub.ca. Also wanted to tell you about Jet Set Parking. If you're going to be at the airport, if you're going to be heading out if you're going to be making your way outside of Edmonton and you want to be keeping a little money in your pocket while you park your car at EIA, we recommend Jet Set Parking at JetSetParking.com. The promo code REALTALK is going to get you parking for $7 a day. That's $7 a day at Jet Set Parking and uh, the promo code REALTALK at JetSetParking.com. We recommend it. It's nice and easy. There's a shuttle to the airport at jetsetparking.com. Finally, Park Power, promoting our hashtag at parkpower.ca. They power it, Real Talk RJ. And right now, an opportunity for you to save some money. What we want is to have these opportunities for you to be able to keep a little extra dough in your pocket. You go to parkpower.ca, and you can compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and uh, internet. And, uh, well, let me tell you this. For a lot of people, the cost of living is going up so much so that they're looking at every single way. They want to find ways that they can 
Save 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there, 40 bucks here, $70 a month with the promo code 2022-REALTALK, $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. When you're there, I mean, the promo code lets them know where you found out about it. But when you interact or talk to any of our sponsors, like we always mention at Dairy Queen, St. Albert Dodge, we'll talk to you about them later. means a lot to us when you let them know that you heard about them on Real Talk. Well, our next guest, this is just an absolutely remarkable honor. Uh, many years, I won't say many years ago. Anita's going to say, what do, you, what do you mean by many years ago? But, but when she was a, a high school student, she wrote in her yearbook, right, Anita? You wrote in your yearbook, and I want to give you a proper introduction here before we officially start asking you questions. She wrote in her yearbook that she wanted to be a lawyer when she grew up, so to speak. But there were barriers and challenges that, that popped up in her way. And uh, Anita Cardinal Stewart stared those challenges in the eye and insisted that she would succeed. She's a proud member of the Woodland Cree First Nations situated on Treaty 8 territory. She's a newly graduated law student from the University of Alberta. And I mean, there's a million reasons why she should be on this show. But the reason why we reached out for this week is because she's just been announced as the inaugural winner of the Justice Abella Award, which is awarded to just one student at law schools across the country. She's one of 23 across Canada. She's past president of the National Indigenous Law Students Association, and we're thrilled to welcome her. Anita, Anita Cardinal Stewart, JD, Juris Doctor. How good does that feel to hear? Congratulations. Hi. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, and thank you for asking me to come on. I am still um, very blown away by this honor, and yeah, looking back, um, I've had this couple weeks to reflect since I finished my last law paper on April 5th, and it took a while to sink in that I'm, I'm done law school, and then Law school was not just the last three years. It almost seemed like to get to this point, it's taken 45 years. And uh, I've worked incredibly hard. And I, yeah, I'm pretty overwhelmed. And yeah, it was my junior high yearbook, actually. Uh, I had a friend uh, contact me on Instagram about a year and a half ago. And she said, I see you're into law. We'd had lost touch. Uh, for many years and she said uh, I thought you would find this very interesting and so she sent me that uh, screenshot of uh, our junior high yearbook where my ambition I had written under was to be an actress or a lawyer and it just took me back to that time of like I did I, I'm I've always wanted to be a lawyer but I for I didn't forget about it but what it is is just the barriers became so overwhelming as I grew older and started to realize just uh what those barriers were and and it wasn't until you know about a you know probably about eight years ago where I finally started to like have hope again that it could happen for me what was it eight years ago um well maybe a little bit more that well I I knew that I wanted to pursue law in some way but I didn't even for a moment think that it could be as a lawyer I had not met an Indigenous lawyer until I was in my mid-30s, right? So I had no legal role models in my life growing up ever. I mean, Indigenous people could not become lawyers until 1954. We couldn't even hire lawyers until then. So um, we have a lot of catching up to do and representation matters. And I never had those role models growing up. So it was, 
I still wanted to be a lawyer, um, but I didn't think it could ever happen. So I saw that Grant McEwen had uh, a paralegal diploma program and I had done already community college and um, you know, education was still very important to me. So I did pursue it in other ways. Um, and then I moved our family from North, from the North and came to Edmonton and did the paralegal diploma program, found some amazing firms to work at. I've been at the same firm since 2016, Cooper Regal and Sherrod Park. And it's uh, given me the opportunity to meet other indigenous lawyers, to work on such uh, incredible files that really, uh, go after justice. And um, I am excited to continue on with them as a lawyer and not a paralegal, even though that was an incredible learning time for me. And it was that time where I really started to meet people that inspired me to like say, okay, let's do this. I'm going to do this. And I did like, I started doing my finishing my undergrad while I was working still full-time as a paralegal. And I would go to early morning classes, work all day, go to evening classes, and then, you know, have a family as well, right? So it was a lot of hard work. It's incredible. I saw, what did you call it? You called it your Cookham dream, I think you called it. <laughs> Wasn't that right? Cookham journey, I think you called it. Yeah, Cookham journey. Yeah. Um, you, you. Uh, I mean, I, I want to talk about some of the work that you've done. And uh, I mean, being awarded this honor, the Justice Abella Prize from the Royal Society of Canada is just one of the honors, uh, certainly. But you've you've uh, I described you as a fierce advocate for justice. You've worked heavy files um, uh, representing victims of forced sterilization. And I know that there's a close connection for you there. You've advocated for people that were um, involved in and what I mean by victimized by. And I know people don't prefer that phrase, by the way. Should we say survivors of the 60s scoop? I mean, this stuff, th this is like deep seated motivation for you, I have to imagine. Yeah, um, absolutely. Working on those files uh, for the forced sterilization. I had heard my mother my entire life always talk about, because there's only me and my brother, um, and to only have two children in the family, uh, for Indigenous peoples, that's a little bit, like, unique. I mean, usually, like, I have um, other aunts and uncles that have a lot more children, and so there was always only me and my brother, and my mother would always talk about wishing that she had had more children. She couldn't. She said, she would always say, back in those days, women didn't have a choice. It was up to the doctors. Um, and... Um, I didn't have a choice. So I had to get um, sterilized when I was, when, after I had your brother. So I've always heard this and I always would hear the sadness in her voice. And I didn't understand until later in life that I was actually doing my, when I was doing my undergraduate and I was in the sociology class and uh, we had watched this program about forced sterilization in Alberta and how that happened to indigenous women and also to uh, people with disabilities. And I was, I just remember that just the floor falling out underneath me as I was sitting there listening to this and it just pierced my heart. Cause I was like, my God, that's my mother. Yeah. And she doesn't know. Um, well, that conversation with her was incredibly hard. Um, cause she didn't know this, what was done to her was very wrong, was criminal. Yeah. And I went into my office that day, went seeing uh, my boss, who is the partner. And I know I was so emotional. I was so angry and he, you know, calmed me down and I just blurted it all out. I'm like, is there anything we can do? What can we, we have to do something. This is 
what we do here. And absolutely, he was like, let me make a phone call. And got he got the ball rolling. And my mother, I talked to my mother and asked her if she would consider being the representative plaintiff. And thankfully, she did. And it's we're still not certified yet. And there's still a fight going on. Of course, COVID had uh, delayed this process a bit. So uh, I start my articles on May 15th and I um, get to hit the ground running and, you know, help working out on this file again and all the other ones. So I'm very excited. With the, uh, I mean, the last year or so, it's, you know, it's, it's coming up on a year uh, since the, uh, and, and I never know the right word to use, Anita. I want to just be real with you. We don't say the discovery of 215 unmarked graves. Uh, right. It's the camp- recovery we like re- to see. I mean, we saying recovery because the recovery. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, coming up on a year, and and it's been a, a difficult year across the country. I think most especially for survivors because everything is is. I, I, when I say unearthed, I mean metaphorically, but in some cases, who knows whether that will be literal or otherwise. And I think that's an interesting um, discussion about how First Nations or Indigenous communities will 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 respond to this. And and it may be on a on a case by case or community by community basis. But the point being. Uh, the inaugural day, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and Orange Shirt Day, more and more Canadians and Indigenous people in Canada are talking about it. There seems to be more of a national discussion. How has that impacted the, the motivation that you feel in your career or perhaps uh, the runway you see ahead of you with regards to what you intend to accomplish? Has it changed? Uh, have you have you found even more conviction in the last year or so? Oh, oh I mean, uh, when news first broke uh, of the uh, discovery in Kamloops. Um, uh, we, as a community, were heartbroken. And even to speak about it right now breaks my heart. Um, those are those were our family. Those were our ancestors, and those were children. And looking at my sons and my grandson, um, it, it's it still breaks our hearts, and especially with you know, only a fraction of the uh, schools being um, looked at right now. And there's still a long ways to go. And there's that number is going to increase and increase. And so me, when this discovery first happened, um, <clears throat> I definitely felt compelled to do something. There was this grief that people needed to get out. They needed to, to do something. They wanted something. So um with the help of the Indigenous Law Students Association, which I was president of at U of A, we organized a vigil at the legislature. And I think that was a really great time for everybody just to come together, everyone come together in this collective grief to honor and remember. And then from there, I, I knew the National Truth and Reconciliation Day was, you know, the first ever was coming up on September 30th and uh, Orange Shirt Day. And I'm a runner. Uh, running has been a, he- a source of healing for me. Um, and ultra running is, you know, a way for me to connect with the land. And so I was like, what is a good way to A, raise money, keep bringing awareness, keep this this conversation here. This So people, this awareness, right? So that we can't forget about it. And so I um, helped to... I was one of the organizers. I was the director for the or first day, our first ever Orange Shirt Day Run Walk on September 30th last year. And it was sold out event. Uh, I do plan to continue uh, doing it again this year. And that was an opportunity to really give back. We raised $10,000 uh, to three different organizations. And I, it, it, it's, it absolutely fueled 
my my passion and this fire for uh, justice. I want to ask you about trail running and, and how that came about and, and and how that fits into the bigger picture and what's driving you. Uh, we're talking to Anita, Anita Cardinal-Stewart, JD, uh, a recent graduate from the University of Alberta Faculty of Law and 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 already, I mean, doing just incredible work in advocacy. Uh, back with Anita in just a quick second. We wanted to remind you when it, when it comes to telling stories uh, like she's doing right now, like we do, we connect with storytellers every single day here on the show. It's one of the reasons why we're really proud at Real Talk to be the opening night presenting sponsor of this year's Northwest Fest. It's Canada's longest running nonfiction film festival and it returns in person May 5th through the 15th. You can check out the full schedule, the full slate of offerings, the documentaries, uh, the full lineup at northwestfest.ca. That's also where you can buy your tickets. That includes the closing night film. That's May 14th on the fringe celebrating Canada's love affair with fringe festivals. They spend a full summer on the circuit. And of course that means an extended look at Edmonton's world-renowned Fringe Festival as well. After the way the last two years have gone, what better way to close out this year's festival than a celebration of festivals? And of course, we'll see you there opening night. If you're a Patreon supporter of our show, check your email. You've already seen in that inbox an invitation for you and a guest to join us for free on opening night while tickets last. We have 40 pairs of them. And once our Patreon crew has the head start on that, if you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, that's the email that goes out every Sunday. It's free, obviously. You can subscribe at the bottom of the page, ryanjesperson.com. We will open up remaining tickets to subscribers of our Real Talk Sunday message this Sunday. More details, of course, on the festival at northwestfest.ca. A shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. Yesterday was National Prime Rib Day. I hope that everybody had a very happy National Prime Rib Day. You know, I was at this charity hockey tournament this past weekend, Johnny. Prime rib on the Friday night. Look at you. Prime rib Saturday lunch, prime rib Saturday night. It was oh, one gosh. of those kind of like sort of a, let's call it a protein field celebration. Spoiled. Yeah, I had a couple salad mixed in a couple salads after that. <laughs> We're coming up on the 1st of May, which means uh, another first of the month at Friesen Brothers. There's 16 locations across the province of Alberta. Grocery purchases, $75 or more, are 15% off at Friesen Brothers. Our friends at Infinity Healthcare are in the business of making perfect matches. They're in the business of consistent, trustworthy, perfect fit home care. If you have somebody in your life, a loved one, that requires more support at home because they're trying to age in place they don't necessarily want to go into a facility they want to stay in their home this is where infinity makes it possible for you to find through their personality matching service a fit that'll give everybody comfort and peace of mind plus they're always hiring caregivers you can learn more at infinity-8 Ca And our friends at Kubi Energy want to remind you that there are always incentives. I mean, this is the age of incentive when it comes to going green, isn't it? So you go to kubienergy.ca. You've always wanted solar. I was talking to representatives. I'll, I'll make this real quick. From the town of Raymond yesterday. Mm. You know, Southern Alberta, Raymond? Of course, yeah. You know that they're Canada's first net zero community? I knew this. You did know Somebody that. Somebody told me a few weeks ago. I just learned this last night. I'm moving. Raymond, Alberta... <laughs> It's solar everywhere. They got solar panels yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Be like Raymond. <laughs> go to Kubi. I don't know if Kubi did the job. I should be careful. But you go to kubienergy.ca and here's the deal. You go, you check under their blog, and under blog, you'll be able to find articles like how to tap into the Canada Greener Homes Grant. Your sustainable energy goals could be closer than you think. 
Our guest this morning, the remarkable Anita Cardinal Stewart, JD, a recent graduate from the U of A's Faculty of Law. And let's let's talk. I love for people on the podcast. Let me describe this for you. Every single time I've said that, your face just explodes into a smile. Uh, it really is. It's like it's very surreal. Um, I um, it's going to take me a little while to get used to it, uh, but I'm getting used to it. Yeah, well, it's absolutely fantastic stuff. Now, you 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 mentioned that you were the you are the past president of the National Indigenous Law Students Association, and there have been a lot of conversations lately of of, of the importance of representation, of how people need mm-hmm. to see themselves, especially young kids, need to see themselves represented in courtrooms and on screen and in professional sports and owning businesses, and and the list goes on and on and on. What's your assessment right now? of uh, the opportunities available to and the numbers of Indigenous law students in Canada? Right. I I mean, that number is growing, but it's still very small, Uh, especially Indigenous lawyers. There's across Canada, we're we're, we're a small community. I'm also the uh, student representative on the Indigenous Bar um, Executive Board, and uh, I've sat there for the last, well, this is my second year, and it really is a small community uh, and fostering that community is so important. Uh, and a big part of that is representation and inspiring other um, Indigenous university students to consider law is uh, something I think we every single one of us is, is does our part in doing that. And I definitely want to continue that and even going out to communities. I was also a part of a level justice program uh, while I was in, at the university at uh, U of A law and that was like putting on mock trials for like uh, high school students and things like that and so that was another way so to inspire and to just and, and so many of those students were like I could never be a lawyer I, my grades aren't high enough or I can't like but here's the thing is like you never give up on those dreams never give up on those goals because you can go back you can uh, do any do all kinds of things but I mean really it is it's about resources it's about support and it's never a lack of talent or, um, uh, you know, it's never a lack of talent. Really what it is, it's always a lack of resources. And so that is something that we can all help to make better. We talk about representation in, in the courts and Indigenous law students uh, and the like. It's no secret to anybody that pays attention that when you take a look at the number of people incarcerated or the demographics of people incarcerated in Canada, they are disproportionately Indigenous. How does that shape your perspective or your approach to your career, both in past and moving forward? Uh, really, like, that is, I mean, they're overrepresented and looking back and people want to be ignorant about why that has happened. And that is a direct result because of the Indian residential school um, era. Um, There are a lot of hurting people and hurting communities because of government policies and practices. And that is a result of that, that overrepresentation. And so having a legal representation of people that look like them is only going to help make things better. being a part of that solution and being a part of that way to give back. And that is absolutely something that all of my peers want to be a part of and feel very passionate about.
about. You're saying all of your peers, you mean including like, non-Indigenous practitioners? Well, I wouldn't say all my peers, but like all my Indigenous okay. you know, peers. But that, but that saying that, so many of my peers at the U of A also feel that way as well. So that was a really, it was really great to see that. I actually had a really great time. I expected to go into law school uh, facing a lot of racism and, and there were some, mind you, but I was expecting to be fighting every day and I did, but in other ways. And I had a really great time. It gave me a lot of opportunity to step up and to help uh, make it a better place. And I think that's something we can all strive to do. I hope it's okay that I'm asking this. Uh, would, Would you tell us about some of the racism that you experienced? Oh, um, well, I mean, one, there was one instance and it really, you know, I, uh, it was my first year I was sitting in constitutional law class and we were talking about um, some treaties and with regards to um, indigenous peoples in Canada. And I was the most visibly indigenous woman in my year, right? So I, I, Everyone knows I'm First Nations. Uh, so it was it was difficult at times looking around and seeing no one look like me. Um, now, actually this, in the last few years, there are more. So that's really awesome. Uh, but sitting around and then there was somebody in, in uh, somebody who had made mention and she felt the need to talk about how uh, indigenous peoples have no homes. And she goes like, uh, for people who are Chinese that come here, they have, there's China, so they're from China, that's their home. And and then she had went on to talk about like um, other uh, people who have immigrated and that they have a home, but indigenous peoples have no home. And she was very adamant about saying they have no home. And it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever heard because I'm sitting here first year law and I'm like, wow, I made it here. I I do belong here, but to hear somebody talk about us and think about us in that way was extremely difficult. So I decided to, with everything, approach it with kindness and grace. Um, I talked to, of course, the professor, I, and I did speak with a student as well. And a lot of that was just like disinformation. And she, you know, really, she started to come out to events and learn. And it, it ended up being okay. Huh. So, hmm. thank you for sharing that uh, on our live chat. Carrie's watching us on uh, YouTube right now. Says thank you for acknowledging the sterilization of the disabled. Uh, she says there are many intersections between the disability community and the indigenous communities. Uh, both were removed from families, sent to institutions, and sterilized. Um, which is just a what do you even say? Um, Jillian says, never a lack of talent, always a lack of resources. 100% this. She says, this guest is fantastic. What an inspiration. Can I ask you, and we'll describe this for, for people. Most people will listen to this on the podcast. So let, let's, or I'll ask you to describe. This is your official graduation photo, right? This is like your JD. <laughs> this is your doctor yes. of laws graduation photo. Can you, can you, you're, you're wearing the, the robes, the cap and gown, so to speak, but, but you have some pretty special uh, accoutrement. Yeah. So my aunt, and I have awesome, amazing aunts that, my aunt had uh, wanted to do something special for this because I am the first uh, lawyer in our family on both sides of the family. Um, so it was 
they definitely wanted to do something that was special. So the tassels she had sent to, she had sent up to me, it made everything and the tassels she had replaced with um, uh, the hide from my, my late Hukum's uh, traditional dress. Um, and uh, she had also um, had the eagle feather that was gifted from uh, her nation to me. And the bear claw was also belonging to my grandmother. And then she also had beaded the, um, uh, the colors black, white, yellow, and red, which represent the four directions as well as the treaty eight colors. And that was incredibly special. My son actually is graduating grade 12 this year as well. And he wore, uh, he wore the cap as well. Uh, there was a different one for him, but it, it's, uh, it was very emotional getting that picture done. And the photographer was like, afterwards, he said, thank you so much for this very special experience because I never get to do anything like this. And wow. That just reminded me like, this is a very special time. And, and especially for myself and my family, but also for my community. People are going to see themselves in you, right? Like pe people, uh, if people... I can inspire one person, then, you know, that, that is everything. To me. Well, just think about it. Think of how many young, uh, you know, young women, young girls, young indigenous girls and boys, like, like across the spectrum and people from other minority or marginalized communities, people from mm -hmm. other survivor type situations, the descendants of survivors. I mean, uh, I mean, yesterday, Yom HaShoah and people are talking about the, the Holocaust story and, and survivors uh, or rather the generations subsequent from Holocaust survivors and the, the multi-generational impact there. And we're talking more about residential schools and the multi-generational impact there. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. I won't, of course, say his name, but he shared with me. I think he won't mind me sharing it here that he's been working with a psychologist lately for the first time in a while, Anita, and and the psychologist has nailed down some things in his personal life that the doctor believes that it's a result of his grandparents and ultimately his father as well yeah. as a very young boy surviving the Holocaust in Eastern Europe. And and this guy's my age, but they're starting to dig into it. And I know it's it, he he told me it's it's uncomfortable for him. He didn't think that that was something that was impacting his life. His his mental health professional is certain that it is. I mean, these are absolutely you know, it is, yeah. and that's intergenerational trauma. Yeah. Um. And uh, it it's uh, something that touches every parts of our lives. Hmm. Um. And for myself, a lot of a lot of unlearning and a lot of relearning things or not so much of relearning but learning unlearning biases unlearning things that I was taught that were wrong um to, to be ashamed of myself uh and I started to grow that confidence again like I was a young mother too I was 17 when I had my son my oldest son and so those barriers also were you know a huge factor in like why it's taken me so long to get to this point amazing um, but yeah so it's moving forward, acknowledging all of those barriers, all of those traumas that I know that I still have a long ways to go. But I mean, other people are experiencing that as well. And I hope they understand that there you can, you will, you will succeed. You will, and you'll have a community behind you. And I really want to be a part of that community of support.
Well, you're, you're a community builder, too. In closing, I've, I've already kept you way longer than we asked you for, and I know you have case files to get to. I hope, I, are you missing a meeting right now because of this? Little- <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm working for my nation right now for this month before I start my articles. But, okay, uh, well, I'll make, this, I'll, I'll make this our last question for now, but you have to promise to come back. Um, and I'd love to I'd love to put to work with you to put together a panel, like a roundtable discussion. So we have to get you back on this because I feel like we're just getting started. But let me ask you about you're the founder of Indigenous Runner Yag. Um, and and, and at, through this organization, that's allowed you to put on what you talked about, the Orange Shirt Day Run and Walk um, on National Truth and Reconciliation Day. That was September 30th. Um, you've been raising awareness and funds, and I know that you've been doing a ton of work through that. What 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 does I mean, even in your Twitter bio, um, you, you, you're, you're almost the very first thing in your Twitter bio is that you're a trail runner. What's the fit? In, like, what's the thing with running? What does running do to you or for you? Why? Why? What is it about trail running for you? You know what it is, Ben, is source of healing. It's been a way to honor um, myself uh, as well as my community and like the land to, sorry. Um, and it really is uh, been a way to connect with other people, with other runners, other indigenous runners who have spent uh, their lives wanting to find an outlet, a way to heal in a way. And then like being connected to the land in that way has been that that way to do that and it has been absolutely for me it deal with heavy things every day especially like working in the industry that i work in and the heavy files like if i get overwhelmed i have to go outside and yeah. i have to go running and has to be in the woods it has to be you know my feet on the ground and my heartbeat fill your lungs with fresh air feel the ground right feel nature that's incredible um I can't tell you. I, we, we took this way over time and um, I just I, I sort of suspected we might. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to thank you for your avail- availability. Congratulations on the Justice Abella Award. Congratulations on your Juris Doctor. Uh, I mean, he, here you are. And uh, the, sort of the launch of a career that has already been characterized by incredible advocacy. Uh, thanks for being a friend of the show. Thanks for talking to us today, Anita. Thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. You got it. You can follow Anita. I demand that you do on Twitter at Anita Carr Stew. That's Anita Cardinal Stewart, doctor of laws. What an amazing human being. Uh, I want to show you, speaking of fresh air, I want to show you a couple highlights from our time in Jasper, the off-camera time in Jasper. You know, the show is live from out there uh, for the past couple of days. And, um, well, we had some downtime, too, and I wanted to just share a couple photos with you, tell you a couple of stories. But first, let me remind you uh, about Eden Landscaping. This is the time of year, like, almost all the snow is gone. Is all the snow gone out of your yard, Johnny? Is, is everything, you know, it's just that beautiful, it's pretty good back just there, a beautiful yeah. shade of brown now? And my wife is talking about how do we spruce this up, because we well, just got into the new townhouse, right? Is she, uh, is she saying, Johnny, how do we bring our outdoor space to life? Exactly that. And then you say, well, you know what, dear? If you go to landscapeedmonton.ca, you can browse the services, the portfolio that Eden Landscaping brings to the table. Family owned, still 20 years worth of satisfied customers, return business, and of course, referrals. Mike and his team can tell you all about how they operate. The best part about this, you don't hire a landscape architect and then hire a general contractor and then hire out trades if necessary, trying to save a few bucks yourself. No, it's a one-stop shop from design to completion, and they don't leave until you're completely satisfied. Eden Landscaping is at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you, tis the season for blizzards, including right now the special Very Cherry Chip 
Blizzard Treat. There's the Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard Treat, the Cotton Candy Blizzard Treat. And, of course, I've not tried this one yet, but the Nestle Drumstick with Peanuts Blizzard Treat. You know, the Nestle Drumsticks, those are, in my mind, one of the greatest ice cream treats out there. Often overlooked. Often overlooked. (laughs) It's always like when you're at a 7-Eleven in the middle of nowhere and you go to the freezer and you go, right, well, did you know it's in blizzard form? You can pick one up today at... Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, that's all Northwest Edmonton, and in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. One of the top five busiest Dairy Queens in the country, by the way, that is. Baseline Road. Hey, while you're out in Sherwood Park at the Baseline Road Dairy Queen, pop into Sherwood Dodge. You can check out the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee, a total redesign, the new front grille, the new headlights. I love how it looks. And of course, they have the big Grand Wagoneer as well. This is Jeep's re-entry into the luxury class competing with the Escalades and the Navigators and all those big rigs that families are using out on the road. The Jeep Wagoneer, available today at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Did uh, you happen to see my Instagram story yesterday? Did you see my my close encounter with wildlife? And I was like, he's getting close to nature. He's he's involving himself in the whole. Because I thought I thought you'd be too busy up there. You wouldn't get out. Well, no, I, I had to. I just wanted yeah. to go clear clear my head and go for a little walk around the property, to... the Jasper Park Lodge. Let's, so if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen this already. Let's roll. We'll take, show our take listeners. a look at this little fella who kind of snuck up on me. Um, hey, can, buddy, hey, buddy, <laughs> give him a little greeting. He's like six. He snuck up on me. I had no. I was just sitting there, and then all of a sudden, I heard. You can hear the teeth like chomping on the grass, and there's this. I think it's. I didn't tell. I didn't get. I didn't take a look at the, at the back end. I don't know if it was a mule deer, a white tail. I think it's probably a white tail, but that was the only. That was actually the only deer I saw on the property. Elk everywhere. Yeah. Like we were talking to Talon Sweeney, the director of golf there at uh, at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, and um, of course, so Talon was saying, "Well, did you see the elk? They are everywhere in Jasper right mm-hmm. now, all over the place." Uh, and then, of course, all the other wildlife that comes with it. But just a beautiful, beautiful time out in Jasper. Marmot Basin still open until May 1st. They're you open until rip? this weekend. Went for a rip there, bud. Uh, just got out for a couple of hours, but the, the conditions were incredible. This looks dreamy. Usually when you're when you're snowboarding, skiing, everybody knows like spring skiing. You know, when you're out there at, at like, you know, the, the end of April into the beginning of May, you're expecting, you know, you 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 right on your rock board right you expect to have it all banged up and get your wax all messed up and blow out your edges uh-uh still a ton of snow out at marmot as a matter of fact it was snowing on the drive up to the mountain amazing it snowed here yesterday too oh did it and that's great to hear but tell me about the food no would you eat? i know you you had a well i had to pop into the jasper brew pub course, before i left of course. and i don't ever even look i walk in and they say would you th-? you know they said are, would you like a paper copy of the menu or are you okay with the qr code and i said i don't need the menu thank you very much yeah i know which beer i'm going to go with from jasper brewing and i'm going to go with the elk meatloaf oh. and uh that is like their I, I don't know if it's technically award-winning but if i were handing out culinary awards in jasper so look at this if you're watching this on youtube look at this are you kidding me there's sauteed mushrooms on top and the you know, like the greenery and they, they've you know what i like they do is they have like the the yam and the mashed potato combo i love that the, the mixture com- the yeah. mixture it's like if you picture it how they played it, it's like the yin and the yang yeah. sweetens up the mix it yeah. does pal so just an amazing <laughs> time out there and thanks to our friends at the fairmont jasper park lodge and at tourism jasper uh for making that happened and of course our friends at 13 ways uh doug griffiths former uh, alberta minister of municipal affairs uh, heather thompson and the team at 13 ways for putting together that amazing community leaders camp 
Coming up on tomorrow's show, it's Friday. That means we have our weekly date with our good friend, Supriya Duvetti. We got a lot to get into. Uh, things happen over the course of seven days when it comes to federal politics. I want to ask her about this convoy that's making its way to Ottawa again for this weekend and conservative leadership candidate Jean Charest, a one-on-one in lieu of a Real Talk roundtable. That's coming up tomorrow. We hope to see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.